Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode three of the 24 Stories podcast. Thanks again to our partner, Skillsbase, for coming on board for the second series. This week, we're going to look at the area of tourism, and I'm delighted to have Seamus Heaney, the head of Visit Cork, in the studio with me. Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast, Seamus. Thank you, Stephen. Delighted to be here. Thanks for asking me. No, Seamus, before we get into Visit Cork, I want to kind of go, go back. Tourism, when did it all start for you? Like, when did the hospitality start for you? Mm. I suppose like everybody else, it's a passion from a very young age. My dad was a musician and he would have brought me, uh, you know, I would have travelled a good bit with him and a lot of them were in hotels. Okay. And then you see these hotels and I remember one time going down to um, to Adair yeah. and uh, seeing the Murphy's Hotel below there. I think I might have been 13 or 14 at the time saying someday I'd love to be in this side of the business. Yeah. Now we weren't that well off that we were going to these lavish hotels, like, yeah. but you would just look at them. From then, I... Just loved this. Uh, I went working um, in a bar and then in a restaurant. And uh, from there, I trained with Fitzpatrick's in Dublin. In so did you go straight from school into that? Is I it? did, yeah. 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 Um, I, I would have loved to have had the opportunity of probably going to Shannon. But, yeah. you know, at the time, costs, parents couldn't afford it. Yeah. So I took the long and the hard road and I worked with Fitzpatrick's Hotels and their training management development program. Was uh, that in Dunleary at the time? Yeah, it started in Killiney, yeah, in their flagship yeah. hotel in Killiney. And then I was moved back to Cork. They bought Silver Springs and I was moved back there for part of the training. And then again, I was moved to Shannon and then back into Dublin again. And um, I finished up my training in Dublin. That must have been a fascinating learning curve though, because they were one of the kind of top hotel brands at the time as well, weren't they? In the, in they were, yeah. The 80s and 90s in particular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were doing um, three weddings a day when you think of it at that time, but... Like, I just remember in the restaurant being, you know, bringing home to my mom and saying, tonight we had Gay Byrne in or we had Pat Kenny or yeah. you had Bono in or you had Christoburg because they all lived in that area. Of course, and, yeah, um, yeah. And they would have frequented the restaurant in Kalani Castle. Chef there at the time would have been very famous in Dublin. Um, so it was a very popular hotel restaurant and... um and, you know, I was there at 17 years of age, you know, and, and I loved it. I think I finished around 21. I was finished and uh, I decided then that um, I would go working for um, a job came up in Bandon, yeah. um, where I'm still living 30 odd years later. Whoa. And uh, I, I went in there under Tom Kelly and I brought what skills I had there to a three star hotel. Like at the time when I went there, they were putting money into the hotel. Um, at the time, they were spending over a million euros or a million pounds, which was huge money, money for a small town hotel. Yeah. They were redeveloping the bedrooms, um, the bar um, and the restaurant. And um, and then I suppose the skills that I had learned and they were they were still fresh. I brought in silver service to the hotel. Yeah. And, you know, I was in the embassy last week in, in London and to see silver service being still, you know, with the older guys yeah. using silver service as a way to serve food. Yeah. To me, it was just... I suppose I spent the night so fascinated watching these guys doing it because anyway, I introduced that in the band and then the whole maybe bringing chefs into a room and carving meat in front of, of guests. Experiential um, kind of thing, correct, was it? Yeah. Correct, yeah. And you know what? It kind of lifted chefs' morale mm. and they had to get dressed up to go out into the floor and all of yeah. that kind of stuff and it was good for the staff on the floor. And, and who was the clientele? 
Like, were they, were they from Bandon or were they from further afield? Do you know what? At, at the time, I said it was an amazing hotel because we had a dinner dance every Friday night from October to March. Yeah. And we wouldn't take anything less than 300 people. Wow. Which was amazing for Friday nights because they were so premium. But then there were your GA clubs. Yeah. And you see, I suppose, when, when you have a hotel in Bandon, you're out to Newcestown, Kilbritton. Um, you even went as far as Dunmanway it's time like you know it's the hub for that area yeah. it was and at the time everybody had dinner dances like dinner dances were you know so prevalent that time yeah so that was basically it and we were very lucky because again we concentrated on the food side of it and I suppose that expertise that I had learnt I believe a hotel restaurant should not be just for hotel guests it should be for the general public yeah. and we kind of gave the restaurant its own identity so I moved from there. Then the two boys had bought the, um, the built Kingsley Hotel yeah. in Victoria Cross. And again, the same thing when the hotel was being built, we ensured that the restaurant had its own identity and that was Otter's at the Kingsley yeah. at the time. And it was a very popular restaurant, yeah. you know. And that was like a, a kind of high-end four-star when it first came it out, was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. In, in the late 90s. Yeah, 98, yeah. There was a lot of controversy at the time because the bats, the old Lee bats yeah, and stuff yeah, like that yeah, and yeah, yeah. the beat on the street yeah, used to take yeah. place and, Correct, yeah, and next yeah, thing yeah. there's a hotel. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was a kind of an unusual. It was and I suppose there was the home of the old Lee bats and we were able to keep a lot of the, the, the imagery from that which is still there today. You know, we say the, the design of the pool was actually made from the bats themselves. Yeah. So part of the bats, there was no more digging after that. Like, you know, yeah. the job was done. And I suppose, unfortunately, then in 2009, when you think, you know, just a little over 10 years later, the whole thing floods and and that was the end of my hotel business. So were you involved in that hotel? Like as yeah, a I shareholder? Was, yeah. No, as no, well? no, I wasn't. I was an employee. I so worked you were for the director. two guys. Yeah, yeah. That must have been tough. Like, cause, uh, yeah, it was. About a couple of years previously, you had done a renovation and it, yeah, it, was, it was improved to a five star, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Went up to a five star in 2006. And um, when you think just three short years later, you know, that, that fateful night on the 21st of November 2009. Yeah. You know, three million tons of water were released from the dam into the city and the damage was just incredible altogether, like, you know. Were you on the site that day when it happened? I was, and um, I lost my car in it, which was nothing compared to what the owners had suffered at the time because, yeah. you know, Ireland at the time, 2009, was um, was a challenging time for anybody in business. And they had um, borrowings and, uh, you know, I suppose the rest was history. Um, receivers were appointed after. The insurance company at the time were Quinn's, which went into um, an administration That's in right, December. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Four weeks later, your insurers go into administration and then the whole thing becomes a nightmare, an absolute nightmare for those couple of years, you know. And the fact that it dragged on for a few years probably made it even tougher yeah, for them, yeah, yeah, And for, for, the, for the owners and for the employees as yeah. well. Like, I mean, these guys had spent over 40 years in the hotel business yeah. and I um, think their institution left them down. And I suppose it was the same in Ireland for a lot of people. Yeah. But anyway, that's the past. It's history now. It was sad at the time and very sad. But it was a great hotel, like, you know. And, and it was a hotel is. that pro- probably brought in a lot of corporate business, I'd say, where, where it was situated, I'd imagine. Was it was, it? yeah. We would have had very big accounts with the likes of EMC at the time, which is now Dell, um, Apple Computers, yeah. um, Banta Global Turnkey, yeah. some of the older um, businesses like that. Uh, Coca-Cola were across the road. They would have been very, you know, strong. Yeah. So it was a hotel that actually um, concentrated on a lot of corporate business and then a lot of leisure business on the weekends. We would never have done weddings or... Yeah, it wasn't dances. set up for that kind no, of... No, it wasn't. Yeah. It was strictly um, a residential hotel. 
And when you say residential hotel, what's that for the, the people living yeah, nearby? Is it no, to no, pop in? People that, that decide they want to go away for a weekend okay. and they don't want the noise of a wedding. They go to bed at 11 or 12 o'clock yeah. at night and there's no noise. They can go to the library. It's not overfilled with guests. Yeah. So it's it's not promoting big time to the general public. It's for those that are actually staying there and they're residents of the hotel. Yeah, because people would automatically see a four star or a five star as a, a place you'd definitely have a wedding. So it's interesting yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. a different slant on it. Yeah, there is. And some, like a lot of places still do weddings and um, but we never went out of our way at the mm-hmm. time yeah. to promote weddings because I suppose you had a, um, a limited amount of bedrooms yeah. before the extension and uh, I, I with 69 bedrooms and at 69 bedrooms you um, it was really dedicated towards those that were staying in the hotel mm. to give them a proper experience there, like a you know, proper hotel experience that they can have afternoon tea and that it's not overcrowded and they're not looking for tables and, you know, that sort of way. And before it all kind of, I suppose, went with that with the, that devastating flood in 2009, I'd imagine that industry was changing rapidly with the online world kind of emerging at the same time, like the, the booking engines and things like that. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been around when you were abandoned, but no. by the time you got to the Kingsley, it started, I'd say. And you, and yeah, and you know, like everything else, don't you adapt and yeah. you, you develop and you d- adapt, but you have to adapt very quickly because, you know, I suppose the tourism industry has always and ever been challenged. It's no different today. There's yeah multiple challenges out there. But at that time, I remember um, in, in 9-11, yeah. and uh, the world changed and airplanes stopped flying that night. Mm. We had a fax machine and the fax machine was full the following morning with cancellations of booking that came through the GDS system, which is the global distribution system. Yeah. They were where corporate companies dealt with, um, you know, the big conglomerates like um, Amadeus, Sabre, Galileo. And then all of a sudden you change to digital and then you go to the OTAs, which would be the, the online travel agents. Yeah. The, you know, the, the um, booking.com booking. and, and Expedia. Yeah. And these, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's amazing from that time, I suppose, when, when the, the Kingsley finished in 2009, um, that, that November, I mean, the online travel agency had just started to take shape. Mm. Uh, Booking.com were getting very strong. Not as strong as they are today, but they were growing. Yeah, because at that point, I'd imagine it was um, Hotels.com and Need a Hotel, I think was another Correct, one. They were yeah. bigger and than Beds.com. Yeah. Beds. Yeah. 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 They and were that, all there, yeah. And you know what? We, you know, you have to look back then and... You know, you've this like hotel owners found it hard even paying commissions that time, like you know, yeah, and saying what are these bills for twenty three euros and thirteen euros and six euros? They were extra bills that you were getting because they were they were paid commission to these um, operators that now had no hope of, you know, where where you had a travel agent in the past and they would have done everything from your air ticket to everything on the land side That's of right, it. Yeah, yeah, but then airlines decided that policy was changing. Yeah. And airlines started to disappear and now they weren't going to make money unless they got commission. Yeah. So they were only giving you the business based on 5 or 10% commission on the rooms that they would sell. So that was there at the time, like, you know. But then, you know, that's what I, I suppose at the time you were trying to understand, do you spend huge amounts of money on a, on a website for a hotel yeah. and put a booking engine in or do you decide that the OTAs do it and just pay them their commission Yeah. and you spend less promote your own website as a channel the people book directly. You know, so you, you had all of those things to deal with at the time, like, you know, and I'm sure it's the same today. Like, I think the bane of every hotel's life is OTAs today, you know, 
it's a constant challenge they probably is, prefer yeah. people to pick up the phone I know it's an yeah, old way of correct, doing it yeah, but yeah, they could yeah, kind yeah, of maybe yeah, haggle yeah, a deal yeah, and get yeah. no commission yeah and now you see people bring everything on their phone and they're on the move and they're booking hotels as they're walking down the street so yeah. and, I, and, I, and I do it myself when I'm travelling you know yeah and probably the leading time is probably less than it used to be maybe in some cases it is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but especially now again like since um, we find it now in Visit Cork that the leading time for um, even conferences is far less than what it was like you know yeah people booking later and last minute and in 2009 so like what where did that leave you so you said the place closed like, you know I was extremely busy I was young and I was full of energy at that time and uh, we also had um, a catering business and uh, we would have been in Fort Wildlife Park we had a we had the contracts for three to great Greyhound stadiums in yeah. Ireland yeah we were feeding over 1200 people a week in the stadiums alone so they were doing a, a big business. But again, I suppose those years were challenging. 2009, 10, 11. Anyway, the bottom line of it is I took a job with the Convention Bureau in Cork, um, which led into Visit Cork, where, where I am today. So um, the Convention Bureau was set up to bring conferences to the city, Correct, yeah. So that was set up back in 2007 um, to win uh, conference, business, conference business to Cork mm. and put Cork on the map. Um, everything was geared around Dublin at the time and um, we were sitting I suppose with University College Cork and we had a very good um, teaching hospital we had um, at the time we had CIT Cork yeah. Institute of Technology in our doorstep um, and all of these people had the ability to win or bring conferences international business to Cork and uh, or to Ireland at the time so Cork's name was out there and that's where we gave a push to that we went to the city manager the county manager at the time yeah and I suppose I chaired it from, from when I was in the hotel business I would have chaired the convention bureau So was it set um, up by hoteliers to kind It was of, yeah. yeah It was set up independently by hoteliers to, to win business for yeah. Cork You know it was it was a great foresight on their behalf to kind of think of okay we, if we go after something big here we could get loads of conventions in and I'd imagine that's where the whole idea for a convention centre came out of as well was it? Well we hope it would be here because That was the plan that, anyway yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, ideally, every city should have um, um, an area or space that can take a large convention. Yeah, you know, and it has um, a knock-on impact on on hotels. Correct. You know, it's 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 build it and he will come. Sometimes you have to have it to be able to go out and sell it. Yeah. So when you set up the convention bureau, how long did it take before you started bringing conferences in? Did you have to travel overseas? Did you have to yeah, pitch it, know, or how how did at, it work? At the time, we we would have worked, and we still do today. Work with the tourist board. Um, you know, at the time it was Board Falcher when it was set up first. Yeah. And they had a business tourism unit within. But again, it was already sort of gearing towards Dublin. And then Falcher Ireland came about after the Good Friday Agreement. You know, when that was set up properly, they had a full um, Meet in Ireland brand, which was the promotion of um, business tourism directly yeah. into Ireland. Yeah. And Cork just sat into that then as part of the Cork Convention Bureau. And you see, when you have a convention bureau as part of the name, Everybody internationally is familiar with what a convention bureau does. Yeah. And a convention bureau's role really is to bid for, assist ambassadors or assist somebody that wants to bid for an international conference or meet the um, the international conference themselves and handhold them until they decide this is the correct destination mm. for their next conference. And uh, that's basically how we did it. And then we bought into a system called ICA, which was the International Congress it was about all the conventions that are traveling in rotation. So they might be every five or 10 years, they're going to a new city. 
Okay. And they're looking for, so just for, ex- for example, there are conferences that stay within the US yeah. and every second year they look for some place outside of the US. Then you know it's available in 2024 if it fits the criteria and the RFPs are correct. Yeah. Um, then you can bid for that. Yeah. And that's basically how we, we did it. Are we limited in what size we can bid for in the city? We are really like 700 people is 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 max. Is, is max really for comfort. I mean, in 2020, we were looking at uh, June of 2020, which didn't happen yeah. for obvious reasons. But we were looking at the biggest conference of international delegates the Cork could have seen. And, and that was an agricultural conference. And they were looking at 1,200 people. Yeah. But for that, Silver Springs had to build on um, a marquee, well, the the actual the the association themselves had put on a marquee, which was costing one hundred and twenty grand just to put on yeah. at the back, yeah, in the yeah, car park yeah. for a few days. You know, it would have been massive for the city if it ever transpired, but unfortunately, it didn't because of COVID. Yeah, and the, and now it's not available again to be bid for for another ten years. When that comes around again, you'd hope that we'd have somebody that's involved in aquaculture within yeah. one of the institutions that will bid for it. And ninety percent of all the conferences won are with the aid and help of an ambassador, whether it's somebody, somebody on the ground here in Cork. Correct. That's involved in something and they could be, you know, someone like yourself that's involved in mm-hmm. some organisation yeah. and then they have the ability to bring us anything from a 50-person conference to, um, you take um, the Mixability Rugby yeah. that took place it's huge this this year. So the story behind that was the two boys that Alan Crockwell and, and Lee Maher, they bid for that in 2017 we put together a bid document for them and they bid for it and they lost. The cork wasn't chosen. Yeah. And then they picked themselves up and with a bit of encouragement, they, they rebid for it in 2020 and they won it. And then 2020 happened again. We were yeah, in the midst so of the pandemic. Again. But the, the look with this one is the two boys had built up such a rapport with the organisation that they were able to push it out to this year, just gone. Mm. 2022, it happened and... um it was a huge success. And how many people from overseas came? From you there? had over a thousand people participating. I would, I would think around fifteen or sixteen hundred international people were in Cork for five days. So the economic benefit is huge for a huge. city with something like huge. that. So Ipsos MRBI True Fault Ireland commissioned to do an, an, um, a kind of a, a feasibility on how much out of pocket spend would be per delegate coming in for an international conference. And that figure is around 1,604 euros. So of which, you know, 60% of it is spent in accommodation and another 10% in shopping yeah. and 5% yeah. in food and all that kind of stuff. Like, But it's around 1,604 euros per delegate. And is that something that you have to battle with a lot in terms of trying to explain to the rest of the city that there's a huge knock-on impact for the likes of retailers? Correct. You know, it's not just hotels benefit yeah. here. Correct, yeah. And we don't have the power, Stephen. We're a very small organisation yeah. now, even with Visit Cork. So we were very fortunate that all the tourism bodies were brought together in 2016 or 15 or 16. I can't remember. I remember sitting yeah. on one of those steering committees. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody was brought together and they were saying like, you know, what does success look like if we were to bring in a leisure element yes. to what's already successful? And I think that, you know, we can go through the nitty gritties of it. But the basic outcome was the model of the Convention Bureau was a good model mm-hmm. and why would you compete against it on the leisure side? Yeah. So therefore, it was a board formed in, in 2017. I was appointed and um, Convention Bureau and now is under the Visicork brand. So Visicork is the entity 
Yes. That promotes Cork as a destination for, for all For tourism. the whole county. Correct. And I suppose that the branding that was chosen was Pure Cork, which I know has confused a lot of people. Yeah. Because I think it's a leisure brand when it's actually, it's a tourism brand for Cork. Yeah. So anybody that's involved in tourism, whether it's, you know, whether it's in a, a restaurant, a cafe, or just somebody selling t-shirts yeah. in Inchidani, they all are fit under that brand, like the, the Pure Cork brand. So how does it work every year? So you have this Pure Cork brand. Mm. Are you given a dedicated budget and say, go on off and advertise? Or how does it work? So, yeah, th- there is. The, I mean, I suppose we're very fortunate again with our funders. We have the City Council, the County mm. Council, uh, Fall Charland, um, the business tourism part of Fall Charland. Um, and then the industry themselves, Cork Chamber, the airport and, and the industry partners being hotels, uh, they all contribute to this fund. And within that fund, then we manage to uh, bid for conferences mm. and we manage to promote Cork as a leisure destination. Yeah. So that's basically it. Uh, I suppose the biggest uh, outlay we had was building the website, purecork.ie, or it can be visitcork.ie, any of the two. So if you look for either, yeah, it'll all point back to the same thing. But it's now a tourism brand. It's the tourism website, the official tourism website for the city and county, for Cork Inc. Yeah, as a tourism destination. Because there was always an issue where Cork was a bit fragmented, wasn't there? East versus west versus north versus the city, the harbour. Correct, and you know, to the eyes of a tourist, they just want to get the destination name. Yeah, and you know, while we are insular and we look at all of those things, east, west, south harbours and everything else yeah. that goes with it. You, you go to the international market then and they've never heard of Cork. Yeah. So that was the first thing we needed to do was promote Cork as, as um, a destination. And if I go back and I suppose I've always told this story because it is a bit confusing. Yeah. That um, when the brand people came along and they were coming along to, com- to design basically a logo and you know yeah. there's 120 pages now with our logo yeah. of the brand so yeah. it's more than a logo and I suppose I learned at the time you know I would have loved some guy for 65 euros to produce a logo for you Yeah, but it was a bit more in depth than that and they looked at you know the immersive destination that Cork was um, the location they brought in the, and if you look at the, the, the brand if you look at the pure Cork logo or the, the Cork Convention Bureau logo both of them are very similar with colours and they're they're taking in the land, the sea, the people. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in the rugged coastline that's yeah. involved in Cork, um, and and they've even brought in, I think, in Dio as as the Cork is kind of a porthole, so it's showing that um, that Cork was a maritime haven. Yeah, and um, I would have ideally loved where pure Cork was to come back with visit Cork. Yeah, and it would have made life so much easier. But the board at the time bought into pure Cork because it was the purity of the brand. Yes, so we are where we are with with that and um, it's, it's, it's you know what it's amazing people love it and they've bought into it and um, it's it's a very popular brand and every time we travel to any international market with Tourism Ireland they'll all refer to us as Pure Cork yeah. so these are the Pure Cork people which is not a bad thing yeah, because at least yeah. it's getting Cork notarised you know so and have you seen the perception of Cork changes over the over the years because obviously you were involved in the hotel yeah. sector and you were trying yeah. to bring people in from overseas and now you're in, in, in a tourism organisation. Like, have you seen a change? I do. And, and and this is not blowing our own trumpet, but I was at um, World Travel Market last week, which is 50,000 yeah. people. And it's just, you know, it is just a nightmare of a place. Uh, every destination promotes 
So we'd be part of the Ireland stand. We will never, ever travel internationally and be on our own, yeah. you know, because Cork is not that big a destination. Yeah. And we'll always travel with the tourist board. And on the Ireland stand, it was just so welcoming to know that people come up and they know where Cork is. Yeah. So I suppose I would have, for a 15 minute appointment, I would have always spent 10 minutes just explaining where we were in Europe. Yeah. Where Ireland was in Europe and then where Cork is. And uh, by the time then there's another five minutes left, you've no time to talk about, yeah, you know, yeah. what Cork has to offer because you're giving a geography lesson first and that's gone. Now it's not gone every day. I'm sure you'll always meet people in the UK that said, oh, I never heard of Cork. But, you know, sometimes I think it's their ignorance because it has become a better known in the space of a couple of years. Now we have to thank Tourist Board for a lot of that too. Yeah. So there's huge work being done by Tourism Ireland. And then within the island of Ireland, there's a lot of work being done by Falch Ireland, both in the Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's ancient east. Yeah. And we are the only county in Ireland to sit with those international brands. Yeah. And just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, we've now gone into Ireland's ancient east or Ireland's hidden heartlands as well. So they do hollow area. Um, or North Cork yeah, kind North of. North Cork from Charleville. Um, that area um, has all gone into Ireland's or um, the hidden heartlands. So we now have the three brands in Cork. So the One Atlantic Way starts in Kinsale and ends in Donegal. And yeah. then you have um, the Ireland, the Hidden Heartland starts at, at the top of, of the country, above the Northern Ireland. It comes all the way down as far as Cork City, out to Cove. Yeah. So And now you have um, the Hidden Heartlands, as I said, coming and taken in Charleville in that area outside of Mallow, yeah, Donnerail, yeah. all that kind of area. So it's great um, to have all of that covered. So you've three experienced brands in Cork now. And a lot of research has been done around all of that, I'd imagine, in there terms has, of yeah. how they're pitching the country. Because I remember, obviously, you know, I, I was in tourism before yeah, and yeah, I was yeah, sceptical yeah. of the Wild Atlantic Way, yeah, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's turned out to be a phenomenal success for them. It's 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 uh, probably, you know, outside of um, uh, Chicago to Californian route, yeah. Route 66, it's probably the next best thing as yeah. a touring route. So we would have worked with Tourism Ireland last weekend in Birmingham at the Classic Car Show. Oh, yeah. Where we know people have, um, they're, probably, they're now classified as unconstrained adults. Mm. They're people that have disposable income and their families are gone. The empty nesters. Yeah, the empty nesters. Yeah. 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 So, and they have disposable income. and But again, it's touring routes. That's, they had a huge interest. The Cork stand was phenomenally busy. Yeah. Because of the touring routes that are available between Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's ancient east, you know, so. And do they come in and rent a car or do they bring, no, they their, bring ca- their cars their across the ferry or whatever so yeah. across the ferry yeah, and they'll drive down and you know Ross Lair is not that far and it isn't no, no. That and, and, and one of the great I suppose I just come back to the old fashioned of me sometimes if people don't really know Ireland you're giving them a um, kind of a geography lesson yeah and especially if they're Americans and you'd say look the whole length of Ireland from Malinhead to Mizzenhead is about 550 miles yeah and from Galway across to Dublin is another 250 miles. So it's a small country. Yeah. And then they get a sense of the direction. Now, when you talk about the Wild Atlantic, the Wild Atlantic Way. It stretches at, it a bit. At two and a half thousand kilometres, of course, then, or 2,200 miles. And it's a tough. With a few challenging roads yeah, there. Yeah, right? and a few challenging roads along the way as well. Yeah. But that just makes it all the better, you know, so. Yeah, so, and that's what they probably want, escapism from where the big cities where they're from. Is it like the target big urban areas to bring them to Cork or like, yeah, we do. You know, 90% of the time we would try and look at access, you know, that if mm. you've good access and it's not a challenging access and 
to me, the US sometimes like is, you know, and again, I'm just going on fresh memory of talking to people last week that are looking. Um, um, and again, it's down to the demographic and they were a young audience and Americans and look, at come to Ireland, you have direct access. Can you fly from, you know, whatever part of the States? And no, you can't. But if you can offer things like hubbing through London yeah. or hubbing, hubbing through Amsterdam, yeah. but telling them that you'll be in Cork at half 10 in the morning yeah. or nine o'clock in the morning and that you're literally 20 minutes in the city centre, like. Yeah. And if you want to go to the outskirts, you can. And mm-hmm. it's not that far. Yeah. So if you come out the gate of the airport and you turn right for Kinsale and West Cork or you turn left for the city yeah. and, and East Cork, you get a lot in an hour from each of those areas, like, you know. And that's not a lot for anyone coming from that part of the world, like, you know. And I'd but, imagine it's a big sell to Europeans because of that fact that they can hop on a plane on a Friday evening after work, get into Cork and be in a city centre for the, for an evening meal within minutes, like, you know. Absolutely. And again, like, you look at, you look at all the different models, Stephen, you look at, like, the likes of Ryanair and they've opened up routes there to Italy in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, they have now Rome, um, Milan and Venice. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with Italian people coming here either for, mm. for a weekend break. Yeah. Um, a good value. And, and it does offer good value to be able to get in. And then you're seeing you know, if, if you just want to make a city break. But I keep saying the, the, the hardest part of, of the sales side of it is making sure that we have access. If you have access, it opens up avenues to anything. You can see it yourself in Manchester, Birmingham. You know, people will go yeah. over to matches. They'll go over for short weekend breaks. Really. If you decide you want to go to Manchester with your child for, for um, a match, maybe your wife will go along and your daughter yeah. will go along. And everyone benefits. Too. And everybody benefits. Yeah. And you're there for a weekend rather than yeah. one night. Yeah. So people will do that. And I think we've now routes from Birmingham and um, the West Midlands of, of um, the UK, uh, Scotland, they're all covered. And they're, they're very important routes for people to um, come for weekend breaks and short breaks. And Ryanair is the model to do that because it's known for being reasonably priced during the summer of this year where we're based in Elizabeth Fort. Yeah. Um, in Barrick Street, our offices. And it was such beautiful weather. I remember being out one day, sitting out and seeing all these young 20-odd-year-old um, tourists coming in. And I just got talking to them and said, why did you choose Cork? You know, yeah. it wasn't a formal interview or anything, but just in conversation. And they said, Ryanair. Ryanair was the model. And in the heat within Europe, yeah. they decided where were they going to go? And the best value they saw was Cork. Yeah. And that's why they chose Cork. And they were here for a few days. They may never have chosen Cork other than Ryanair giving them the opportunity to travel and cheap and reasonably. Yeah, yeah. And then the heat wave obviously was a bit of a help to us yeah. in Europe to get them into Cork. But that was great. Great for us like in Cork, you know. Are we sometimes too pessimistic about ourselves and actually we, we offer a great product, you know, like have Cork people bought into the tourism brand that we have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I'm just not sure, but I suppose I kind of look beyond it at times and mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. I know we have a great product. Yeah. And, I'm confident going out to market. So is Evelyn that works with my colleague. We're very confident going out to market at any time. Um, knowing the Cork product is very yeah. good. We have great um, water activity. We have great land activity. We have some, one of the finest attractions. And I'm not just talking about everybody gravitates towards the city. We have some fantastic stories to be told out in Skibbereen, mm. down in the Six Islands off West Cork. You know, we have a great food story. Yeah. And we have now, we're going to have an incredibly great drink story when it comes to um, when Middleton Distillery is finished. That'll be an amazing story yeah. coupled with um, Bertha's Revenge out in Ballyvalan as a gin, a premium gin. And then you go to Clannacilty where there's a 
11 the million distillery, euro distillery yeah. there. Yeah. And then right across the way, you have the Clannacilty food story of the Clannacilty pudding. You have Michael Collins' house. And then you go on as far as Skibbereen. And you have um, the Famine Museum down yeah. there. You go over to East Cork and you have another great stories. And we're surrounded. Like, I mean, who would have thought four or five years ago we'd have four Michelin star restaurants in Cork, Whoa. if not five. That's that's an incredible food story. It was always seen as a place that, you know, Dublin was the Michelin star place, Cork. Correct, kind yeah. of, you know. Well, you know, I, I was talking to Mary Hoolan this morning in Ireland's Inch East within Forge Ireland and they're doing a good bit of work in the whole food story and it's going to be available for people to, to find out the great food stories of Cork and it'll be available early next year. But we have a fantastic food and drink story here mm. and we have a great nighttime economy. Mm. We're seen as a safe destination and, uh, you know, I I think we've ticked a lot of boxes. Have we enough hotels? Hoteliers will think we do. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you'd always love, I suppose I'd always love to see the big box hotel where you have maybe four or five hundred rooms in a hotel. Yeah. And then it offers you um, a multitude of possibilities. You can bid for an international conference, house them all in the one hotel. Yeah. You know, it helps the tour operator. I suppose one of the biggest challenges for tour operators at the moment is finding space within Cork City. You know, if they're promoting Cork and they're finding that a challenge at the moment because there might be 50 rooms taken up and a lot of hotels don't have that scale. Yeah. So if you look at most of the hotels within in Ireland, they're small. I, I think the largest bed hotel in the country would have been um, City West in Dublin, Whoa. which is now taken out of, yeah, of circulation. Or, yeah. That would have been the largest um, out of over a thousand bedrooms. And I'm only just going and guessing the largest hotel in Cork would be about two, about 190 rooms. Yeah. I was in Vegas a few weeks ago at IMAX, a big international show, and um, the hotel I was staying in was seven thousand rooms. <laughs> you know, it's like a hotel. Town. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, like you have to get a map to your room. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. So the and then down the road, three thousand rooms and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not saying that every sometimes small is beautiful, and yeah, uh, you don't want massive, high rise hotels in a city. Mm. But I think sometimes that hotel block or. Kind of a large scale hotel, maybe yeah. 350, 400 rooms would be ideal. Has the likes of Parky Cueve helped a lot? You know, these big concerts coming in and only recently Munster Rugby playing the, the spring box and stuff yeah. like, you know. 100%. All of those events, you know, add to a city. Yeah. Ed Sheeran's concerts. Um, yeah. I mean, if we could only have got Garth Brooks for two nights, you know, yeah. down, yeah. you know, it would have been great. Um, all of those concerts, Westlife, they've done phenomenally well. Having a Munster final is fantastic. Yeah. And then you talk about the Springboks game the other night against Munster on a Thursday night in November. Like, it was just incredible. Full house. Yeah. I, I don't know what you were there. I was there. Yeah. The scenes were incredible. See all the pubs full. People enjoying themselves. Um, but I was talking to a hotelier there that told me 50% of his rooms were out to Munster supporters. Whether they came from Limerick, Waterford, Tipperary, Clare. They came down for the night away. Yeah, came down for a night away. Two lads, you know, yeah. maybe a family came away yeah. and they made a weekend out of it. But of course, all of those things are hugely helpful, like, you know. And with with Pure Cork, um, are you always just looking overseas or do you kind of look internally as well? So the domestic market, like, yeah. you know, how does that work? So when, when it was formed again, our job was international business. Yeah. Because the rest takes care of itself. I yeah. Mean, you know, you have tour operators, you have DMCs in Ireland. They're all based either in Dublin or around the country. And then I suppose you have hotel sales managers who are able to contact these people themselves. Mm. For for Visit Cork, 
and to the Convention Bureau of Pure Cork, whatever you want to call it, Visit Cork's role was to promote internationally. Yeah. Then we had a, a pandemic in 2020. Yeah. And then we had to pivot and very quickly pivot towards the domestic market that now became the only market. Yeah, because no one was um, travelling in. Correct. Yeah. Nobody was travelling in and out of countries. And um, do you know what? It gave us a great sense of perspective clients because we um, we we created videos at the time. One of them was Pure Cork Awaits and mm. it was kind of giving the cities now closed or the destinations now closed. But all the things that you missed about Cork are all going to be there when yeah. when the world reopens and this 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 and it will happen. And it did happen. And then we got the uh, go ahead, I think it was June that year that the hotel and the tourism industry could reopen, parts of the our our society could reopen. And um we had a video ready to go which was pure cork await our awaits was the first one and then welcomes and we were ready then. So all the things that you did miss about Cork are now here, we're open. We're open for business. You know, I know it was at AIB or Bank of Ireland said that Cork was the most popular destination according to credit cards. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. And we were very fortunate because all of the hotels filled. Yeah. All of the guest houses now, you can imagine, in a pandemic, everybody took guest ho- or houses first. Yeah. So there was no house to be got in West Cork or East Cork. Yeah. A holiday home, they were all booked up um, very quickly. And then with the hotels, you know, it just shows that we're a small, a, a small destination can work very well because I remember talking to hoteliers in West Cork that were, the the honey spots we call them were all full. Yeah, the city was looking challenging, and, and I could just tell you the occupancy that June for the city for June, July, and August was around thirty three percent. Yeah, and by the end of August, each one of those months hit seventy odd percent. Okay, so we were able to get the honey spots hotels to say rather than saying the people were full and we've no vacancy, could you not stay in the city and you're with you're down in our area within an hour. Yeah, so you can now ha- park yourself in a city hotel. And you can see all of what's to be done in Cork within mm. an hour. Yeah. You know, an hour and a half at most. And you're out into the, the periphery areas. But um, that worked a treat. And um, Cork had record numbers in 2020. And, you know, the Irish tourist spends far more than an international tourist. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, the Irish, when they're away, they're on holiday. They had all this pent up money. Yeah. Um, and they were all just mad to get out. The biggest challenge was not being able to get a restaurant. You know, that was the challenge was still, at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because restaurants were challenged with social distancing was yeah. still there. Yeah. Um, um, and People then, queuing for restaurants, I remember yeah, it well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just, I suppose, it was a good complaint. But again, I remember being in the fort and seeing all these families that normally went to Spain or, mm. you know, Portugal, yeah. and they were in Cork and it was great. And people from Northern Ireland that had never been down here before. And I still today... I meet people from even Northern Ireland saying, oh, we were in Cork for the first time in 2020 or 2021. Yeah. And it's great to hear that. And you could have seen the Northern cars there. Like, you know, I'm li- I'm living in West Cork now and uh, and you see the trail of Northern cars on a weekend coming down was incredible. Like, you know. And I'd imagine even the dubs even realised that, you know, it's okay to go beyond the likes of Wexford and Wicklow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were all automatically going to the East Coast for their holidays. They were, yeah. yeah, And a lot of them, they'd come to, to Cork and, and it used to be just, it used to be sickening actually before the pandemic to listen to Dublin people saying, oh, I haven't been to Cork for 25 years mm-hmm. or 30 years, you yeah. know. And they're only, you know, and we're in, we're in Dublin every second week. By, by default, everything <laughs> yeah, that yeah, happens yeah, behind correct. Yeah. yeah, we've no choice but to be there. And uh, it was great to see them even coming down in force, like, you know. But it was kind of like a showcase over the place. Um, oh, it was, yeah. You yeah. know. You know, I suppose 
out of a pandemic became some positives and I suppose that was the big positive for us. And will you continue to focus on that domestic market alongside that international market or, or what yeah. we're able to go? Yeah, so we, we have a campaign out at the moment. Um, Cork sounds good and it's just, well, you know, when we, we built the campaign, it was literally, one was to promote Cork to Irish people and how you get there. And it's just the sounds of Cork. Mm. And then the, the beauty of, of doing um, a piece like that is that Tourism Ireland can push it out in, mm. in taller markets because they don't have, there's no language barriers in it. It's all the sounds of Cork. It's only a very short video. And um, th- that that campaign is rolling well. But, you know, we, we don't want to just waste money. So we worked with Fall Charlton very closely and they have the Discover Ireland campaign going, mm. which discovering what's in your doorstep. And uh, Cork County Council built an app. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that app yeah, called Explorer yeah, Cork, yeah. which is a great downloadable app. And... Um, both the Ireland, the Engineers and the Wild Atlantic Way. We did digital guides as well of what's live in an area, whether golf is available or whether something is open or not and it changes per season. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's digital, then there's no waste and, and it's, um, you know, it's totally, you know, a, a green way of doing something Yeah. that you don't have all these books sitting in shelves. Um, and it's it's live feed. Um, but I suppose the, um, the, the great part of that story is that we worked at Fall Charlotte and felt when they had done a strong campaign in Cork um, in September, October, we were able to hold back hours until the latter part of the year. And then we'll be able to do it in the first quarter of next year as well. But yeah, it's something we will be continuing to, to, to look after is the Irish market. But I suppose predominantly we're set up Overseas. to bring international visitors mm. and making sure they know Cork is there like you know and if there's someone listening to this podcast no going back to the convention bit you know say yeah. they're involved in some association how do they go about getting help in terms of they want to bring something in all they have to do is just come to us um, yeah. and we're uh, well we're a small team we're an effective team we do listen to people we do talk to people and you know sometimes there's a conference or there's an event and everybody everybody's yeah. involved in some yeah. organisation that they if they really stop and think and you have 10 people in a room and you sit them down and say, what are you involved with? You could get the World Association of Chess Players. Yeah, yeah. You know, they may have a travelling um, event or convention. Car, yeah. And just because you play chess, you think you're no good to anybody. But of course, you're a very important part of that. Mm. And we take the two boys in the mixed ability. I yeah. always look at that like mixed ability is so niche. Yeah. And even their legacy and conferences have legacies, some legacies. And their greatest legacy is now they have made mixed ability rugby um, a sport that's going to be recognised brilliant by the RFU alone yeah, and internationally. But that was a big legacy to Cork. But there is so many, like we've had the disc players, we've had um, every type of conference that you could ever imagine out there, whether it's a trapeze artists conference or whatever else. And, you know, we're never changing organization too you know and tourism is ever changing and I just the whole new thing now is pleasure a new pleasure market what is does that mean? mixing business with leisure okay where somebody's traveling to a conference and then their family's coming over yeah and they're adding on a leisure piece to it mm. so a typical um, conference would delegate would come on a Sunday and kind of finish on Wednesday or Thursday and stay on and then you stay on them with your yeah. family the weekend or your family come over later and they have a weekend break in it I remember seeing that firsthand when we brought one of the British and Irish Zoo Association conferences to Cork and Correct, yeah. you could see partners coming with them. Yeah. And the yeah, partners yeah. went off shopping for the day or they went yeah, off yeah, to yeah. different places or yeah. they went off even seeing some of the wildlife. Like, for example, like we have amazing coastal uh, wildlife, yeah, yeah. like the whale watching and dolphins and stuff like that as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's amazing what, what we have 
Well, it's so much on our doorstep. Like, I mean, I, I'm living very close to Cork McSherry, a tiny little coastal village, like in the effort they make down there, like, mm. and respectfully look after the water, which is liquid gold mm. to us in Ireland. And it was especially during the pandemic. But the likes of them, you, you go down further west, and you have, you know, the Cottrell family and they're doing these um, island hopping. You go from one island oh, to another yeah, on the yeah. boat. And you go down to Gareth and guys can take you out the boat for a day. You can do whale watching, dolphin watching, um, just simple fishing. Um, and all of that just on our doorstep. Like there's just so much. Like again, I just go to one area of the county where there's three farms that are very sustainable yeah. and they now have farm tours. And that's phenomenal. Like when you're, yeah. I, I was able to sell that last week very um, easily to um, an American organization that are looking at sustainability. Yeah. And you say, well, if you're doing anything sustainability, you need to look at this because these farms are completely sustainable. Yeah. And the cow, the milk from this, a particular type of cow goes into the making of Millions cheese, which is only 15 miles. Yeah. You know, and then I, 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 we're going back to the whole start of this conversation about food. Yeah. And again, it's the whole food story that in America you have everything, you know, farm to fork or farm to table rather. And now we can even bring it back farm to fork. And we can even bring it down to how far the food has travelled. You know, and that's a great story. It is People a great story. That. Yeah, yeah. Like that everything in this menu is within a 15 mile radius of the restaurant. And that's an incredible. And we need to protect our restaurants. You know, that's the biggest fear I see out of this cost of living, living crisis is the um, challenge that restaurants are facing because their margins are so small mm. um, and their labour is so high that it's going to be a real challenge to keep them going. And you can see already restaurants collapsing, but I really hope because they're so integral part of this ecosystem of yeah. tourism that we yeah. have, like, you know. And I presume it means that locals need to support them in the 100%. off season as well. Yeah. You Even know, if, in the summer they'll be fine. Yeah, correct. In, yeah. You know, the, the off season is the biggest challenge. And you know, you know, there's only so much you can charge for a cup of coffee, as you know. Yeah. But their costs like, you know, butter, cream, cheese, um, everything is just going up and up and up and, you know, the whole uh, energy crisis is killing them. Mm. But again, like you said, if they can be supported as best they can in the off season, but even buying a voucher for Christmas, yeah, you know, if you can buy it locally and buy it off them, it's great. Like, you know. Where's the future for Cork in terms of, you know, is there future markets that you'll chase or, you know, like, or is it, do you need more connectivity or like what, what, what do you see in terms yeah. of tourism? I mean, we're always going to be that bit more greedy. It just makes our life a little bit easier if connectivity was, yeah. um, you know, more frequent and we had more routes available and that will come. You know, I think the, the team at Cork Airport are doing a good job. They're coming back slowly, but, you know, we'd all love to say, like, we'd all love ideally um, a direct access to, just for argument's sake, to, you know, Warsaw. Mm. But these things are not possible unless they stack up yeah. for an airline. Yeah. And airlines are commercial people. And I mean, I don't know how many times people think Aer Lingus are the national airline. They're not a national airline anymore. They're a commercial entity that are part of a big conglomerate, an international conglomerate that only look at um, data. Yeah. And it's facts and figures. And if yeah. they don't have the load factor, they ain't going to support it. So it's very important. I think we all fly from Cork Airport. Yeah. And we support yeah. routes out of there and not be going to Dublin. Dublin, while you think it's easier, it's not easier. Um, you have, you know, the whole fuel cost guy up there. Anything that we ever do, if it's to the States, we'll always fly from Cork. Always and ever in and out of Cork. And that's mainly to support the airport and to support the routes that are there. 
and if routes are not supported, they they won't continue. And that's the same with ferry access, you know. Yeah. The yeah. Brittany ferries, Brittany ferries um, yeah. and all of these, they all need to be supported going to France. Um, they've now two ferries a, a week for the summer period and uh, uh, going Wednesdays and Fridays and they all need to be supported for longevity, you know. Um, yeah, and it's it's lovely to see as you're driving down on a, I think it's on a Saturday or I remember on a Saturday morning you're driving down Cars Hill or something like that and next thing you see all these French cars and it's fantastic, yeah. coming towards you and you're just like, you know, yeah. I don't know where they all end up going but it's yeah. just phenomenal to see the it amount is, yeah. of vans and cars and even bikes. I've seen yeah, yeah. people, people, seen people. Seen I've, often, often. I've often gone out to, to um, Cove or to Ring a Skiddy and you just want to just watch the ferry yeah. passing by or coming yeah. in and it's fantastic to see like, you know, and that whole cruise tourism has really come back again. I go back Bigger to than ever, I'd say, is it? Yeah. And yeah. 2020, people saying, you know, experts saying, oh, it'll be the slowest to come back. And you're going, mm. if it offers good value, Americans love it. Yeah. Americans love cruising, providing they're getting value. Safety as well, it's secure, uh, yeah, is it? Yeah. yeah. I suppose the biggest thing at the time that if you were on board and there was an outbreak. Um, yeah, you're stuck you know, there. You were stuck there and that mm. was it, like, you know. But has it, like in terms of the economic benefit for the city... Um, or for the county is it tricky with cruise ships because they're only in for the day and they're gone again they are but you know what um, we have a very good system so again like I could just tell you uh, with, with evidence based is um, I met a lady last week that's looking to use a tour operator within Cork mm. to manage a five hour five and a half hour excursion in the city and county okay for people coming off a cruise ship and she has I know it's 26 people but at the same time that's that's the level that's there and when we produce the pure Cork maps, we now are going to, you know, the, the new way we want to try and do it is that once they get off the ferry, they're able to see you can get onto the train in Cove into the city if you want. Yeah. And then the time you need to leave. Yeah. They'll need to know where restaurants are, what toilets, facilities are available yeah. to them. And then they'll need to know, you need to now leave this area. You need to be here by three o'clock to be back for five o'clock. Yeah. Or the ship will go without you. you yeah. Know? But it is like, I mean, some, you know, I heard a man in Newport that's in the same role as me and, and they have a lot of cruise ships and he said while people give out about them they say they do they commit no crime or they commit no foul no, no. he called it but they do no harm and at the end of the day they're um, they're coming to see attractions within the city as well as, as the county and they may come back and they will come back, back as, yeah. as tourists if they mm. really like it and saying no more than any of us would I mean if you've ever done a cruise and you stop in a city you say well I've got a couple of hours there I'd like to come back and explore it. Yeah. And then they do come back, like, you know. Yeah. So. And it must help the likes of the even the destination brands within the city. I'm thinking the likes of the Victorian Quarter there, you know, so close to the railway station that they've Correct. they've improved their area, lots mm-hmm. of new bars and restaurants mm-hmm. there. For people coming off the ship, they must think, you know, this is great. It's very Fantastic. close. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's very close. As you know, Kent Station Cork is a very easy walk to most parts of the city. It like. is, yeah. You're yeah. in Patrick Street in 10 minutes. Like, you could you know. get to Shannon Bells in probably 20 minutes. Probably. You could, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're very lucky with all of that. And you just mentioned um, the Victorian Quarter and the job they've done there is phenomenal. It's yeah. now a buzz street. You know, yeah, it is, yeah. Great restaurants, bars, and it's a happening street. Yeah, it's so, so lovely around that area. It is, yeah. And, yeah. and to see it come back to life again. Because yeah, it was yeah, an old part of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a real character. It shows the true character of the city. And I think the guys are doing a great job in it, like, you know. At this stage, I'm guessing you're never going to leave tourism, Seamus, are you? No, not at my age now, I'd say not. Uh, Your whole life in, uh, yeah, in yeah, it? Yeah. And I still love it, you know. 
Uh, the job we do sometimes traveling sounds glamorous, but when you're leaving home of a Sunday and you're getting on a plane mm. and you're heading off to destination, it's bloody raining and you forget something, you forget whether it's a tie or a cufflinks or whatever else. All these challenges that are there in public transport in mm. London and wherever else. And then you're you're sitting at a table all day long. Yeah. But it's amazing the amount of people you meet. Like you'll always meet somebody that either has a great piece of business and you know Cork is going to fit it ideally. And if I just give one piece, again, I was in, um, we, we had a stand at um, the, on the Ireland stand at IMEX in Las Vegas in October. Mm. And I met this lady that said she had a religious conference, you know, it was 4,000 people every year going to this one in America. But they were going to bring it to Europe. And the, if they were going to Europe, they were going to go to Ireland. And if they were going to Ireland, they were definitely going to Cork. Yeah. Because she'd been in Cork and she'd been in UCC. Yeah. And then she'd stayed in the Riverine next door and she just thought the city was so friendly so yeah. welcome and she thought the food was amazing that this was going to come here. Not to the same scale yeah. but that she was looking at it much because when I heard 4,000 people okay. you know Where are we going I'm to going, Okay what year would we have a convention centre built by then? <laughs> uh, um, and the next thing is you know she'd say well it's going to be 2024, 20, 25 and it's going to be 700 people they roughly think would go to it. Yeah. They did a straw poll and about 700 people put up the hand to go to that and you're going gee that's perfect like you know. Yeah. So Cork has has a lot, you know, and that's when you love your job. Um, I was in the Irish Embassy last Tuesday night and uh, the Tourism Ireland people were speaking about Cork is here in force mm. and the Cork has done such a phenomenal job and, you know, I mean, we led the way when it came to outdoor dining in Ireland. Yeah, we did. You know, yeah. to be fair to the city council and the county councils. All the streets were closed off. They were just mm. incredible and it got such a big story that all of those have resonated. Like, you know, mm. I'm, I remember working with, anyway, which didn't happen, was the America's Cup, the famous, the dreaded America's yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working on the, the plans in that initially for the bid stage. And like, you just that's the first time I think I saw Cork in a very different light and saying, you know what, we could pull this off. Yeah. And I think that Cork did actually win the bid. Yeah. It was incredible altogether, but just we couldn't afford to host it in the end. Yeah. You know, putting all that together was, was phenomenal about Cork and what we have to offer all within a very short distance of the city as a nucleus and then what we have surrounding the city like you know so so I don't think I'll leave tourism any day soon any because day. So I, don't load, I, load I, don't, I don't think I'd be good at engineering so I think <laughs> or, or medical stuff so I'd stay where I am But you are plenty good in the tourism sector and I finished the podcast with three questions so the first question is uh, what tip would you give uh, another business so I'm thinking a tourism business if you were to give one tip to a tourist business now maybe a startup tourism business I'd say service, you know, yeah. service will always win out. Um, I, I think people, it's a people industry and it's never going to change from that. And while we have a lot of automation in our in our industry, you know, if you don't have good people going to a table, it costs nothing to say hello. Yeah. I was at a function recently and I won't, I won't go digressing too far now on this, but I was at a function recently where there was a woman serving the tables inside the small room for 40 people mm. and she could do the whole room on her own. Wow. But she was that good. Yeah. And if the personalities are there and the skill sets are there, you can train them to do anything. Yeah. You'll always train someone to do anything, but you'll never train their personality. Yeah. You can't do that. So I just think that's a big one is look after your people, look after them. And I do think they'll stay with you. So the other question I have. Yeah. Is what tip would you give an individual? So I'm thinking now that 17 year old like yourself that's thinking about, oh, I like working in hotels or, you know, maybe they're thinking about 
going doing a course in tourism, what tip would you give somebody like that? Again, I just say that there's lots of courses for someone that's not very academic and, mm. you know, college isn't for everybody. And I know yeah. one of my sons is, is doing an apprenticeship. Uh, college was not for him. School was not for him. And he's found his way and he's quite happy doing what he's doing. And I would say the same for anybody else um, that's looking at tourism business. Everybody, you know, I suppose for years, sadly, that parents wouldn't encourage children to go into the, the hotel industry. Yeah. Because it's long hours and you're going to be treated like crap and all this. But that's not true because it's such a diverse industry. You could become a tour operator, you could become a DMC, you could become a tour guide, you could become a really good, well-paid barman, you could become a chef that, yeah. as I said, we have Michelin star chefs in, yeah. in Cork and Michelin star isn't always the way to go either. There's very good quality chefs, a male, female. It's um, it's a very diverse industry. So you're meeting people of multiculture. Yeah. Um, and you can travel the world. There's yeah. two things you can do. If you can pull a pint and you can play music, I think you'll get a job anywhere in the world. You'll never, you never have to starve. Yeah. You know, or you can serve tables. But it, but it's such a diverse industry. Look at me going from a hotelier to, yeah. you know. The head of his car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And starting off kind of as the part-time job kind of. And Correct. Walking yeah, your way yeah. through so, it. And it's the same for anybody in it, you know, so. And the last question I have, we have a, a new question in this series and it's uh, in association with our partner Skillsbase. What skill do you think is essential for the role that you do? So I'm thinking now you're promoting Cork on a global level. So whether mm-hmm. it was Vegas, London, wherever, what skill do you think you need most of all for that? Knowledge. Is, knowledge? Yeah, knowledge is very important. Um, and that you have very good knowledge. And sometimes maybe it's an offering to say, but Nick. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you need to be able to network. You need to be able yeah. to um, and and believe in what you're selling. Bit of confidence as well, yeah. I'd say, is it? Yeah, but a bit of belief, I think, is a big one. Yeah. If you think your product is good enough to sell, then you're going to be enthusiastic selling it. If you're not, you're saying, well, you know, we have a lot of c- traffic congestion. We have mm-hmm. dirty streets. We have, yeah. you know, it's hard to get there. If you go with all the negativities, it's no good. You have to leave so, that behind. You do. And you have to be knowledge-based and saying, you know, and to be able to get an understanding, and I would always think that, that's why I go back to knowledge, is knowing your industry. They just say, actually, do you know what? I know a hotel that could fit very well. And again, I could use loads of examples of where somebody's looking for a buyout and, you know, the exact hotel it would suit. Yeah. You know, when somebody's coming over and they want to buy out all the rooms yeah. and they want a hotel exclusively for two or three days, this is the ideal hotel, you know. So you do you have to be ready all of the time for maybe like the lady that once the religious conference or the sustainability conference you have to think okay well I know those three farms or I know that there's a lovely old church that they could visit or do you have to know all those little bits of the county you you really do like you know you have to have a good product knowledge like you know you said the word confident and confident in selling something and the biggest part of confidence for us is that you know if it does come the legacy will be that it was a great sell. Yeah. I remember just putting something in an email yesterday when I was coming down on the train to a lady and she was asking me about a tour guide and I put down a name and I just said and I said and she said how confident are you that he would do a good job and I said extremely like yeah. and she said then I'll take it your word. So I wouldn't put that down if I didn't think the guy was going to be able to pull it off like because you're only giving yourself and the destination a bad name like you know so. I think it's a great skill for anyone to, to know their industry inside out so the, that you can promote it. Thanks a million, Seamus, for coming on. And thank you for having me, Stephen. Really appreciate that. Thank you. And best of luck with promoting Cork into 2023. Thank you. And everybody has a part to play in the promotion of Cork as a, as a good destination for tourism. Thank you. That wraps up this week's podcast. 
Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.